Weekly News by iGaming Next is brought to you by Playson, quality games since 2012. This episode is sponsored by Zimpler. All right, all right. Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, good afternoon, wherever you are in the US or Europe. We are here to cater for you today here at the iGaming Next Weekly News. Nico, Jake, it's great to have you guys here. How are you guys doing today? Good, thank you, Pierre. Sorry, I thought Nico was going to jump in then. <laughs> All good, though. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. A, a I'm fine a... and perfect. Brilliant, brilliant. It's a bit, bit, of, a, bit of a chicken race uh, there between uh, Nico and, uh, and uh, Jake to start things off with today. But no, uh, yeah, great uh, things here as well. I think uh, we are in the middle of kind of holiday periods at the moment. Uh, I'm currently visiting my sister here in Marbella. After a couple of days in Morocco the other week uh, here on the, the traveling and touring around Europe or trying at least because now there's a new strike happening on the on SAS, uh, the Scandinavian Airlines. So uh, it's a bit of a mess to travel at the moment, but we're still doing our best uh, here to enjoy the summer as best as we can. However, this is still the highly uh, the, the, the weekly highlight uh, uh, here of the week, the, uh, the weekly uh, news with I give next on the um, the news doesn't stop because uh, because of travels or vacations or whatever it is. Uh, the, the industry is still alive. Um, and so uh, we, we have a pretty action-packed agenda here, as per always, uh, as, we, as we know by this uh, stage. And today we have a couple of points to discuss, essentially, which is, um, first of all, we're going to move into uh, discussing the recent move by the uh, Netherlands uh, government to potentially ban uh, untargeted gambling ads, including shirt sponsorships, uh, and TV ads, and so on and so forth. Uh, and then there's another quite big news story of the uh, of the industry this week, which is that the uh, white paper from the UK uh, in the re-regulation uh, of the uh, of the gambling act uh, there is uh, leaked. Uh, it's a story that broke by Earnings and More uh, here the other day. Uh, this is a hotly anticipated white paper, of course. The question is, when is it going to be released? And what is the contents within this uh, white paper? And so we're going to go into detail of uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the leak here and what that revealed, uh, this leak earlier. Very, very interesting for the industry, of course. Uh, another point today is, um, you know, big news from New York. Uh, I suppose it's not a surprise anymore, but uh, the numbers, when we talk New York, are always huge. And uh, the numbers are now released of the first six months in which uh, uh, New York State raked in over $300 million in tax revenue. And uh, we, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, that as well. Um, another story that uh, is interesting, just in relation to what is going on in the world at the moment, I suppose, is uh, the fact that Entain has now kind of given guidance to investors that uh, you can expect uh, um, a lower spend per customer due to the macroeconomic climate that we are moving through at the moment with the inflation rampant and so on and so forth. This has obviously spooked the stock market somewhat on the gambling side and, uh, and caused a little bit of a drawback uh, on that side. Uh, and, and Tain as well, of course, uh, had a bit of a drawback after this statement. Um, other news as well is the fact that uh, the German regulator is now initiating IP blocking against uh, Lotteland. Uh, it's a reoccurring story here that we've had uh, in the last couple of weekly news. The fact that the German regulator, uh, GDL, is now cracking down on the unregulated environment specifically. And uh, so we're going to talk about that as well. Uh, and uh, some extra two stories, if we had time, because the hour is short, uh, as we have learned by this stage as well, is the fact that uh, TBB partners have pulled out of the process to acquire Playtech. This is a saga that has been going on for the last nine months or so, where uh, Playtech have been courted by several suitors to be acquired, uh, but it ended up uh, with no acquisition at the end. You know, and TBB was kind of the last uh, piece of the puzzle here that... Uh, has fell out. So uh, that has caused another drawback for Playtech now in the stock market, which is down 20% uh, this week. And finally, we'll see if we have time to go through the, the, the very colorful story of the fact that a, that a gang got caught running a fake Indian cricket league to dupe Russian gamblers. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a story that I didn't think I would read out this week. But uh, nonetheless, and we have uh, Nikhil here saying hi from India which is uh, suitable for that. So we got to see if we can move over to India a little bit in the, uh, later in the conversation as well. And uh, also, hi to Ignacio. I'm really sorry for the pronunciation, but nice that we have a worldwide audience uh, here nonetheless with us today. Uh, so 
we're going to start here uh, from the first uh, story in regards to the fact that the uh, Netherlands is now considering to ban uh, gambling apps that are untargeted. So essentially, when you are doing, you cannot do mass marketing uh, any longer is the proposal from the 1st of January 2023 in the Netherlands, including shirt sponsorships, TV advertisements, so on and so forth. And we have a very special guest uh, here today, which is uh, Erik Connex, who is uh, a policy advisor of uh, NOGA, which is the Netherlands uh, Online Gambling Association. And uh, here we have uh, Erik with us today. Technology is working. How are you doing today, Erik? I'm all good. How are you? Brilliant. Thank you. Brilliant, brilliant. We are doing uh, great here. So, uh, Eric, just to jump into it straight away here, essentially, uh, can you explain uh, what was the latest proposal uh, here in movement by the uh, by the government to uh, to, to ban the untargeted gambling apps and what this will mean to the gaming industry? Yeah, it's it's never boring in remote gaming, and it's 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 never never boring in remote gaming in the Netherlands. Um, the market went live for October first last year, um, and. Obviously, license holders started to, to advertise, and uh, it was a bit on the heavy side. Uh, like it, 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 it was quite a lot, uh, which led to political and societal um, uh, discontent, and that has now uh, resulted in a untargeted advertising ban. And that means that effective January first, twenty twenty three, TV commercials, radio, and out of home will be uh, uh, forbidden. Effective. January 1st, 2024, uh, there will be a ban on sponsoring of events. Um, and one year later, uh, also sponsoring will be banned. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose my, my first question here is, of course, this comes as a little bit of a, uh, as a negative surprise for the likes of, of Kindred, for example, who is just entering the Netherlands market. And they just signed a shared sponsorship here with Ajax, uh, that, that was supposed to be a big sponsorship. So, so in principle, this would mean for uh, for Kinder that they are not able to extend this partnership beyond January first, twenty twenty four. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, it would be uh, twenty twenty five then, uh, because it's just sponsoring. Uh, the minister said that because sports is so important to make people healthy and stuff like that, there's sort of leeway uh, of, of two years for sponsoring. Uh, but indeed, it would mean that after January first, twenty five. Uh, all sponsorships uh, have to end. Um, uh, initially, under the plans of the minister, sports sponsoring wasn't part of untargeted advertising. Um, but then there was a, um, a, a member of parliament who filed a motion, who tabled a motion to include sponsoring also in the untargeted marketing ban. Um, and that, that resulted in, in yeah, the, the, the recently announced rules. Um, indeed, it means that operators went into the market now um, as opposed to the operators who went live in the first wave, uh, they have more limited um, opportunities to uh, to market themselves. Um, and that's, of course, much to the discontent of, of, of some of them who don't have a legacy in the Netherlands, who don't have a lot of brand recognition, and who's, who can see that uh, their opportunities to, to make the Dutch consumers uh, known or, or to make themselves known to the Dutch customers are drying up. Exactly. So for the regulated environment, uh, they don't really have that many advantages in, uh, let's say, building brand recognition in comparison to the black market operators with this type of uh, ban. No, that is true. And uh, that is something, we, uh, a position we've always been uh, defending that in a regulated environment, marketing or advertising serves a purpose. It serves to uh, point consumers to the locally regulated product. So in order to channel your players to the locally regulated offering, you, you need to, uh, to tell the consumers who the local legal operators are. And almost all uh, marketing advertising opportunities will be restricted. So it's going to be really difficult to channel the players to the locally regulated offering. And we know uh, with Noga, we, we're doing a yearly survey. And this year, the survey learned that 70% of, uh, of the Dutch players have difficulties to distinguish a legal and an illegal operator. And it's going to be even more difficult if those legal operators can't market themselves anymore. So it's a bit of a concern, to be honest. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's a difficult, uh, difficult environment, uh, more and more difficult environment for the regulated uh, operators, of course. And, uh, you know, it, it seems uh, from an industry perspective, we understand uh, the, uh, the, the, the challenges that this will bring between 
uh, for the regulated environments. But uh, in, in your discussions with um, the regulator or with the government, perhaps, uh, do they understand these issues? And uh, like, why, in your opinion, do you think that they are uh, enforcing this? Is this kind of like a scoring political points uh, type play? Or do the regulator actually understand that this will push players to the uh, unregulated environment, in your opinion? Yeah, this, this, you always have to distinguish between, let's say, technical arguments and, and emotional arguments or uh, arguments driven out of um, yeah, emotion, religious beliefs, spiritual beliefs, etc. And technically, a lot of stakeholders, I dare to say, almost everyone understands that you need a certain degree of marketing for channelization. Um, but the thing is that some people are, some stakeholders are, are so stuck in their beliefs and their political views on on, uh, on whether remote gaming is desirable or not, uh, whether it should be there in the first place, etc. that uh, it's difficult to get your technical arguments across the table. Uh, now, the minister has said in his, um, uh, in one of his letters that basically the same as what I said and what we all say is that you need a certain amount of marketing in order to channelize uh, the players. Um, but then, under pressure of uh, the parliament, he nevertheless, yeah, more or less put a, a full marketing ban in place. Um, and basically what you see is that the technical arguments we have, they, they are, yeah, in Dutch we say snowed under by very strong societal backlash, limited uh, political friends. Uh, and, and also the, the, the downside of this industry is that there are some people who technically agree with us that it's good to have regulated offering and, and you know, that, that people are going to play, like, like do gambling anyway, so you might as well regulate it to make sure that you, they'll do it in a safe environment. Some of them, I mean, that story resonates with some of the stakeholders. That is a technical argument. The opponents of the industry, on the other hand, they are much firmer in their, in their beliefs, um, which are negative towards the industry. So if there's a discussion about marketing opportunities, sponsoring, etc., there's a few people who bring in the technical arguments, but they're always just like, like washed away by 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 uh, like a sea of, of emotion and 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 religious beliefs and and, and uh, also a bit of preaching, you know, thou shalt not bet. Um, and that's what we see in the Netherlands as well, and it ultimately uh, brings the uh, let's say the the policy objectives of the Remote Gaming Act, which is channeling and then consumer protection. It brings it further away. It doesn't help. On the contrary, I would say. So, um, so yeah, difficult situation. Yeah. Sorry, um, if I may jump in, Pierre, as well. It's, obviously, it's great, great to have you um, on, the, on the show, Eric, but there's a couple of questions I'd like to ask you as well. And um, obviously, the Minister for Legal Protection, who is kind of responsible for this, has said, you know, he said himself that advertising is uh, a means of directing people to the, to the legal offer, and he understands that. But I think his argument that was... Uh, addiction prevention outweighs this as a priority for us, basically. Um, yeah. And I think you'll know, you know, having worked on the operator side as well for a long time, that these ad restrictions were kind of always coming in the Netherlands and have been quite well communicated for some time now since the regulated offering went live. But it sounds like the the shirt sponsorship and the sports sponsorship in particular were kind of thrown in there at the last minute and and maybe blindsided the industry a little bit. Um, I'm just wondering what the industry's reaction kind of has been to that, or whether there's any plans to kind of challenge challenge that element of, of the restrictions, or whether we're going to see, you know, licensed operators try and sponsor football clubs at the last minute just because they've got that soft deadline up until 2025. Yeah, it, it is true what you say. We knew that um, on-target marketing then uh, was coming since, I think, uh, December last year. Only the last few weeks, we learned that sponsorship or sponsoring would be part of it. Um, a lot of uh, professional football clubs, for instance, but also unions and, and leagues, they have running agreements with, uh, uh, with remote gaming operators. Often, these agreements run longer than January 1st, 2025. So I assume, and it's what I hear in the market as well, those agreements will be respected uh, until the last day. Uh, and of course, that that we are gonna uh, try, for instance, during the consultation, uh, to change the the mind of the minister, um, because of course we're also uh, susceptible to the uh, to the argument of of um, 
that we should all prevent harmful gambling, etc. I mean, that's that's a no no brainer, right? Uh, but we are of the opinion that sponsoring uh, can be done in a safe way, uh, enabling the, the the policy objectives under the Remote Gaming Act uh, without harming and jeopardizing the health of um, uh, of people, uh, most notably young uh, young people. Uh, so we will uh, during the consultation. Uh, give our view on that and why we think it is possible to do it in a sustainable way. And obviously we will also seek um, sort of alliance with, with the world of sports because ultimately uh, it, it, it harms our uh, our industry in a sense that we can advertise and then uh, point to the locally regulated offering. It also harms the, the world of sports because historically for decades there has been a very long and strong uh, relationship between uh, gaming and lotteries on the one hand and the world of sports on the other hand and it, it, it's a shame to just toss it away uh, in full brilliant thank you so much uh, for the insight here and on a last minute notice eric for coming aboard and and, and sharing insight today really interesting what's uh, happening in the netherlands and of course like always we'll we'll keep uh, following up on on these stories as they develop uh but yeah thank you so much for, for today eric and uh wishing you a great friday thursday afternoon here you too, and thanks for having us. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Thanks. All right. So uh, interesting stuff here from uh, Eric of Noga, the, uh, the Netherlands um, industry organization here for sharing the, some insights with us. Uh, and uh, in between topics, here, I just want to, to kind of say hey, hi for everyone in the chat. I love that people are sharing their locations here. So uh, great to see you, Henry, uh, always uh, uh, an avid listener and viewer uh, here of the, of the chat from, from a hot UK. Uh, Lucy from the US. Uh, if you're in the US, are you by any chance at the SBC summit that is taking place right now? That would be interesting to hear. Uh, and if so, how is it? Uh, also, Alex from uh, Ukraine. Nice to, uh, nice to have uh, you dialing in here as well. Um, also, uh, Odetta from Romania. Uh, hot issue there as well. And Bogdan uh, tuning in as well. I believe uh, Bogdan is uh, Polish, but uh, I'm not sure if he's in Poland. And I, th I think I think Odetta actually um, occupies a similar position um, to Eric in the Romanian operator trade body as well. And they're involved in kind of similar discussions at the moment with legislators about uh, a potential tax that's um, been mooted for on, on consumer winning. So she's probably uh, fighting a similar battle, I would think, at the moment as well. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yes. Uh, right now, it's another uh, issue here as well with the taxing players. Uh, uh, now that's going to stifle the industry as well. Martin Frint, uh, nice to have you here from Apparat that we covered uh, the, the other day. And uh, Meriba Meriba Elif uh, from Malta, but she's Turkish, so I, I use my very limited Turkish to say hi to her uh, and, and, uh, and so on. So, all right, guys, let's move on to the next topic, shall we? Uh, earnings and more broke. A really interesting story yesterday, which is uh, on the hotly anticipated UK uh, gambling at white paper that is uh, set to be released kind of like at any moment. Uh, however, uh, the um, issues, let's say, in the UK politics as well has put doubt is if the uh, white paper is going to be published soon or if it's going to be uh, postponed. Uh, but uh, Ernie Samore, they broke the story yesterday and um, uh, and had a potential leak uh, here of the white paper that detailed what the white paper will entail. And also they spoke about the fact that uh, the white paper is set to be announced at some point next week uh, already. So I want to just kind of jump over to you, uh, Jake, here obviously UK uh, born and bred uh, and uh, raised as you are, to kind of talk us through this story a bit and uh, detail a little bit what the uh, white paper potentially will contain here as it's maybe it's being launched next week yeah of course um firstly you know huge credit goes to uh, earnings and more on my my journalist uh, colleagues over there scott longley and, and jake pollard who um they have an awesome newsletter and uh, if, you, if you don't subscribe to that it's, it's well worth doing um in my opinion but yeah they they got their hands on this ex exclusive leak of the of the government white paper um which just had a bit more detail as we've discussed on, on what we could expect to see when the findings are published um, and the kind of key theme throughout has been at what point do these affordability kind of credit checks kick in on, on player accounts? Because that's what consumers, for the most part, have been worried about. Um, and the paper basically said that these checks would kick in at net losses of £125 per month or at £500 per year. Um, 
Now, operators and politicians have said that customers won't even notice these checks occurring. They're kind of in background credit check credit checks that operators are kind of conducting in the background now anyway, certainly those that are on the front foot of, of kind of in, introducing their own responsible gambling um, software in advance. Um, but as somebody pointed out on Twitter that I found quite funny, um, you know, you can't even buy the Racing Post newspaper uh, every day for a month without spending without spending £125. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're kind of slightly lower thresholds than we thought. Um, and then there's also going to be detailed checks on losses of £1,000 within 24 hours, um, which, you know, were, were probably well signalled again, and a £2,000 net loss over a 90-day period. Um, the other things that were kind of confirmed that we knew about already were the, were the, were the stake limits for online slots, which looks like going to between £2 and £5.00. Uh, unless you can prove that you're kind of a, a higher staking customer and you can afford it, in which case it might go up to between 10 and 25 pounds, but it will certainly be capped. Um, it's not going to be kind of, you know, unlimited like it has been for a number of years now. Um, and yeah, the, the whole situation in the UK is quite funny, really. There's, you know, absolute turmoil happening in, in Westminster that's kind of put this white paper in jeopardy but it does sound like they're going to try and force it through by the end of July even though there's no minister for gambling at the moment um I when I tweeted the other day about the the Dutch marketing ban that that came in and um it got loads of traction from from basically people who want to reform the UK gambling sector saying you know this is what we need to be implementing we need a complete marketing ban shirt sponsorship ban and that kind of thing and those voices have been incredibly loud throughout this debate and uh, debate, and they, they've lobbied really well. Um, but, you know, there could still be a spanner in the works at the last second. We could see somebody, a politician, intervene and potentially change these um, numbers uh, that have been reported. You know, it's worth pointing out this was from the first draft version of, of the white paper. Um, so it could have changed multiple times since then. Uh, I guess we'll have to see. Absolutely, and, and I suppose the uh, the number one kind of uh, let's say detrimental point in this uh, uh, that is detailed so far is these um, more detailed affordability checks uh, that kicks in if you lose more than a thousand pound within a month or within two thousand uh, two thousand pounds within ninety days, uh, which is estimated to kind of stifle the the amount of uh, the amount of gambling especially the, the high net worth individuals would, uh, would conduct because uh, obviously in order to go through these kind of advanced affordability checks, it's, um, it's a quite tedious process for the, uh, for the individual player to actually go through this process and in the correct papers and so on and so forth. Yeah, and exactly. That, that, that limit. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it, especially for that limit that's the £2,000 net loss over 90 days. That's where you start to get asked for your bank statements um, and these checks become a little bit more evasive, uh, invasive, sorry. And the, the racing post has said that um, that £2,000 net loss over 90 days could potentially cut billions of pounds of revenue um, and between 20 million and 30 million from, from the levy that goes towards horse racing. So there's kind of stakeholders right across the industry that are, that are concerned about the, the, the outcome of this review. Interesting. I, I just want to point out another funny thing that I heard. I can't remember exactly who said it, uh, but uh, someone pointed out that they had been speaking to uh, a, a while ago, a number of years ago, um, uh, some uh, someone from a lobby group within the tobacco industry. And obviously in the tobacco industry, I've kind of gone through this process. It feels like a bit. It feels like we are going through a similar process now with a drawback on marketing and uh, ability and so on, which... Um, the tobacco industry has gone through a number of years uh, in the past already, uh, which uh, they are not able to do with TV advertisements, not being able to uh, showcase their products within uh, within movies and things like this, which they were able to do uh, previously. And uh, someone pointed out within the tobacco industry that this has been great for the tobacco industry because it means that, they do, that the competitors within the tobacco industry don't have to outspend each other uh, marketing-wise, in order to gain uh, more market share, um, they are still selling their products, uh, but uh, they don't have to 
bring this enormous marketing spend uh, in order to uh, to kind of uh, win percentages against each other. Uh, so I, I guess that's the uh, the other side of the coin here, so to say. Uh, but uh, but that is the, uh, the 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 other kind of debate, which is not detailed in the white paper specifically, but. Uh, um, on the again, uh, kind of continuing the discussion from the Netherlands, shirt sponsorships and uh, sports sponsorships and so on is uh, also the fact, of course, that uh, uh, the uh, the Premier League clubs are also being pushed to uh, uh, not allow uh, shirt sponsorships uh, as well. Then here, so in the UK, it, it, the story is quite grim for the industry. That's the feeling that I'm getting. I don't know, Nico, uh, if you have any thoughts uh, uh, here on this point, and what's uh, What's your feeling in general on the on the on the direction that the UK is heading at the moment? So first of all, you know, with the uh, bands uh, shirt sponsorships, we are just waiting for the final decision, which will happen latest next week, Wednesday, by the twentieth uh, of of uh, July, where at least fourteen uh, Premier League clubs need to vote. Uh, with their uh, kind of, uh, yes, we don't want uh, any further uh, um, gaming-related uh, shirt sponsorships um, anymore. We are speaking about, if I'm not mistaken, 43 million uh, uh, pounds per year in, in uh, sponsorships. So for sure, we will just see how this one uh, turns out. But just having another look at the um, at the white paper, it, you know, when you're just having discussions with people actually gaming or gambling in the in the UK, they they just see uh, this as as one of their hobbies. Like, okay, I'm just going to a racetrack. I'm just you know uh, wager some money uh, during online sports uh, sports betting. And if they uh, would now know that as soon as you hit the 125. Uh, net loss uh, within one month, which can quite easily happen, then passive checks um, will apply. I'm pretty sure that just drives uh, customer towards the black markets because they just don't want to have this kind of passive checks where you don't know what will be checked. Right. And then, you know, with this kind of handing in the bank statements of uh, um, if, if you just uh, uh, lose one thousand uh, pounds within 24 hours, um, you know, if you just party hard in London, you can easily spend uh, one thousand pounds just on a uh, on a night out with, with your mates. Right. I'm not uh, speaking about uh, uh, after work drink, uh, drinks in a, in, a, in a pub, but if, you know, just uh, hit a club. Um, share some drinks, share, share, share a bottle. You know, if, if uh, this, this would be... Could we have an extra job at Petit's Best? It seems like uh, the, the, <laughs> it seems like your spending habits are, club are quite generous. <laughs> <laughs> you know, been there, seen that. Oh, uh, I was... A thousand euro, a thousand pound on a night out. Or, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> you know, if you have once seen the good, bad and ugly of investment banking, you know, you, you just hit the, the 1,000 pounds within five minutes after you just reach a club. Uh, and that's uh, that's uh, cutting a long story short. But yeah, we were just, we were just seeing, <laughs> as Eric pointed out, uh, you know, we should always keep in mind that having a regulated market should be very attractive to operate in that market in. And if we just think about Benetton actually leaving the market already, um, not extending their, their license, who, so who will be left in, uh, in the market? First of all, uh, William Hill, as of now, is owned by 888. Um, if they can't operate the market in the UK in a reasonable way, Maybe they will pull out, uh, pull out as uh, as well. So there will be no betting shops anymore for uh, William Mill, probably Ladbrokes as well. So you know all the consequences linked to uh, operators not being able to operate in a specific market in a reliable and worthy um, way. This will just first of all uh, draw people into the black market, black market operations, and then out of a sudden. Um, the regulated market will disappear. And uh, I'm pretty sure um, this ain't something which the regulators are, are looking uh, uh, forward to. Uh, you know, <clears throat> a politician, it's always low-hanging fruits. If you start out with, okay, we want to ban uh, gaming advertisements, etc., and this is something we discussed for, for quite often already, it's low-hanging fruits. Slow hanging fruits, and then people can actually join uh, join the bus, hop on the uh, the bus quite easily, 
uh, but usually people kind of forget all uh, about all the consequences. Yeah, and and Nicola, you make a good point. You know, as well, it's not just it isn't just investment bankers and people spending thousands of pounds a month on gambling that are going to be impacted by checks at this levels. It's the hundreds, if not thousands, of recreational horse racing betters in the UK that quite easily would stump up hundred twenty five pound losses over the course of a month without any kind of problem gambling behaviour um, at all. And I think the Racing Post tweeted their story on on the earnings and more um, exclusive and all the replies, it's like 200 replies or something saying this is the death of the UK industry. You know, what am I going to do? I'm not going to be able to bet on the horses anymore. And it is quite a bleak kind of doom and gloom outlook in the UK right now. I mean, that's that's not to say that there aren't voices that are kind of, fighting the industry's corner you know that the lobbying effort um continues right up until this this paper is published um we saw today uh uh one a, a british mp put out an opinion piece which said um oh this is such bad timing for a, a gambling review you know with all that's going on with the prime minister resigning and everything else we need to we need we need to postpone this in order to get it right and make sure it's uh, in the interests of, of consumers uh, and that was the MP whose constituency was uh, was Stoke on Trent, which, um, believe it or not, is where Bet Three Six Five is uh, is headquartered. So. <laughs> I love that so much. I, I you love could have guessed it, really. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. And and um, another thing that emerged yesterday was the fact that uh, you know from one minute to the next, uh, Evolution shares uh, they crashed, they tanked a bit yesterday, about eight percent, something like that. And the investors uh, were speculating that that was due to the uh, fact that the U.S. inflation numbers were released yesterday. And the U.S. inflation turned out the highest inflation in 40 years. Uh, more interest bumps are, are, are coming and so on and so forth. But we were, we were saying internally here that it's probably not because of the inflation uh, news that the, that, the, uh, that the share price tanked, but rather because uh, of the uh, uh, limited um, limitations on, on slots uh, to two to five pounds. Uh, per spin, essentially, which would uh, kind of stifle um, uh, stifle revenue uh, within uh, a company like Evolution as well. Um, then, since then, Evolution has recovered uh, a bit, so the, the, the stock did recover somewhat. Uh, but I think uh, investors generally actually missed this uh, point because uh, the ENM newsletter, as good as it is, it has a quite limited reach, uh, mainly within the industry. And I think um, investors perhaps missed the, the, the story of earnings and more yesterday, or at least the uh, the, um, the the smaller investors uh, missed the story here uh, that uh, that came out a bit wider today, perhaps. Uh, but yeah, non- nonetheless, uh, interesting um, interesting movements here in, in the UK, and we will see then if it holds true that the white paper is going to be released uh, next week. I, I would assume as well as well that within the government at the moment in the UK, within the Parliament, uh, it's pro- things are probably changing on a day-to-day level at the moment, and. Uh, uh, relevant uh, movements yesterday perhaps is irrelevant today. So let's, uh, we have to wait and see until the white paper is actually released, until we understand more about this story. Next up is um, New York. New York, New York, as we, a reoccurring topic that is showing up a lot in, the, in this uh, weekly news podcast as well, uh, which is the fact that in the first six months, the state of New York has managed to rake in an excess of 300 million dollar in tax revenue and so so jake i'm, I'm gonna uh, kind of leave it over to you and and uh, I, I know that uh, nico uh, you as well uh, are an avid follower of the state of new york uh, movement so but but um jake can you start off by uh giving some input in the story and then perhaps uh, nico if you want to if you want to chime in here as well yeah absolutely so yeah this came from uh, the new york governor's office um governor kathy hochel who basically put out the figures for the first six months since New York's regulated online sports betting market went live. Um, and since the 8th of January, I think it was when when the operators launched in the market, it's basically generated $302.3 million in tax revenue for the state of New York, um, which is more in tax revenue than any other US state has generated since 2018. So, um that kind of puts into context the, the scale of the New York market and, and just how big a sports betting market is. Um, <clears throat> and probably also explains why operators are so keen to, uh, keen to see kind of similar movements in, uh, in states like California, where 
you know the population levels can can kind of match up to that um but what was particularly interesting for me was was the follow-up um, of this story from our new reporter uh, Ryan Butler, who he, he touched on an interesting angle that basically, even though New York has exploded um, since January, the neighbouring states like New Jersey, for example, um, they haven't been negatively impacted at all. Because what 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 basically commentators were saying was that. All, before sports betting was legal in New York, you had all those customers and those punters kind of going across the bridge to New Jersey or basically traveling across state lines to wherever they could get a bet on. Um, and, and it was thought that once New York legalized, um, that there would be a roughly kind of 25% decline in, in betting handle in New Jersey. Um, but that hasn't materialized at all. Um, because New Jersey generated 4.1 billion in betting handle during the first five months of 2021, uh, and then for the same time period in 2022, it's actually generated 5.1 billion, uh, and that's since New York went live. So it's not had a negative effect on New Jersey at all, uh, which is also kind of continues to go from from strength to strength. But um, yeah, there's also the tax rate to consider, which I'll pass over to to Nico because he he kind of raised that point smartly earlier yeah so um in the end you know uh, first of all numbers are, are still crazy 302 million in in uh, uh in taxes and when we just had the discussion with uh, with, uh senator uh edible he was like um there has never been any other um industry actually claiming or going towards um a state like okay please legalize us and we will uh, hand in uh, tax revenues. And as we can see, 302 million are decent tax revenues, but we should never forget at a tax rate of 51%. So the um, entity um, gaining the most out of legalizing sports betting is um, the state itself with 51%. Uh, and the operators are left with 49% and they still continue to actually operate in that uh, specific market. So we should never uh, forget that 51% is the tax revenue, which will directly go to the tax authorities in the state of New York. And, and worth adding to this as well is that uh, the, the 302 million is based on the GGR that was uh, generated in the first six months. But there's another 200 million dollar tax revenue in license fees uh, as well from the um, uh, from the eight uh, regulated uh, operators in the uh, in the environment as well who are uh, who are contributing uh, to 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 license fees total uh, there's uh, more than 500 million dollars uh, that have been generated more than half a billion dollars in tax revenue for the state of new york and the estimate uh, before the regulating the regulation came into play was 361 million so, uh, so actually, uh, rather than the whole year, uh, I think the the estimate uh, was for the first six months, if I understand it correctly. Okay. Uh, and uh, the actual tax revenue so far, um, including and this three hundred sixty-one million was including the including uh, including fees, the license yeah. fees, uh, whereas the um, whereas the current uh, whereas the current uh, uh, amount of tax that generated is surpassing five hundred. Uh, million, which is, is absolutely incredible. So, uh, and this this money is uh, set to go to sport initiatives, to responsible gambling initiatives, and um, uh, to society as large as well. So it's going towards uh, pretty good causes, you could say as well. So all positive note there. And, and um, Nico, you mentioned that it's kind of the state that is benefiting the most here. I would actually argue that this the the state is the only beneficiary so far. <laughs> Uh, uh, because uh, the uh, operators are not uh, really making any profit so far in the state of New York, and it remains to be seen if it can be turned profitable, uh, the state here. So, uh, so yeah, interesting. All right, on to the next uh, story. Um, just uh, moving on uh, and talking a little bit more about the macroeconomic climate at the moment, which is also a reoccurring topic here in the weekly news uh, broadcasts. Uh, as we, as we all know, and especially those of us who are investors, um, the macroeconomic climate is, uh, is, is very scary at the moment. There is not much upside. There is mostly downside on the markets right now. Um, again, uh, inflation numbers from the U US coming out yesterday with very bleak reports. 
uh, telling the story about further interest rates increases coming up here as well, which again is going to affect the market negatively. And uh, so the, the, the climate is just not looking uh, super positive right now. And putting, uh, putting fuel on the fire here, the Entain uh, 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 communicated to the shareholders uh, the other week uh, that uh, they are seeing an effect of the inflation rates now in the fact that uh, they are seeing about 5% less spend uh, across the board from their customers uh, due to uh, inflation uh, related causes, let's say. Um, and uh, obviously this has caused uh, the Entain shareholders to be quite spooked. And obviously the Entain uh, share prices fell on this news uh, last week, but it ha actually recovered since then, which is important to, come to, to, to point out. But uh, uh, again, J Jake, jumping over to, to you here covering this story, uh, I'll take you next. Uh, can, can you go deeper into this story a bit? Yeah, sure. Um, happy to. Um, and I'm probably going to, you know, reveal too much of my nerdy side now. But uh, Entain CFO Rob uh, Wood is uh, is the best person to listen to on these quarterly uh, report calls. So if you're like me and you tune into every single one, uh, you're kind of rubbing your hands together when Rob Wood's going to take the mic because he he just provides so much detail and color um, compared to a lot of his. Uh, his colleagues. So um, yeah, credit where it's due. Um, but yeah, sometimes to his detriment, I think, because uh, it means analysts can, you know, weigh up all these numbers um, in really concise detail. And then that can go on to to impact the share price, um, as we saw last week. But you summarised it really well, Pierre. Basically, you said that, you know, the, the macroeconomic environment has, has combined um, to cause a kind of 5% drop off in customer spend per head in the UK. Um, which has in turn contributed to a 15% drop-off in GGR, uh, online NGR, sorry, from the UK for the first six months of the year. Um, yeah, really interesting. He said, obviously, you know, different territories have different economic environments. He's like, they're, they're not seeing any signs of this in Australia, where they're obviously live with um, with NEDs and Labrooks, but in other in other countries like the Baltics, for example, they where they bought N Labs, um, he, he said, uh, like inflation's at twenty percent, and you'd, you'd you know you'd be crazy not to see an impact on on spend per head at, at those kind of figures. Um, what was really interesting for me though was that in the UK, especially, it seems pretty clear that there's the decline is based on a blend of the macroeconomic downturn but also the cost of Entain implementing these affordability measures that we've just talked about, um, which, which, you know, are, are costly. They're costly things to do, these responsible gambling procedures that are going to be forced on these operators. Um, and one analyst kind of suggested to me that this might be, might be damaging Entain more than some of its competitors because they've already implemented a lot of these soft affordability checks. Um, whereas Entain is having to kind of play catch up now. Um, an example he used was that Flutter and 888, for example, have had voluntary £10 stakes on online slots games for some time now in anticipation of the review, whereas Entain hasn't. So obviously, if it does then have to you know, put, put a threshold on, it's going to cost it more than those other two companies. Um, but yeah, really interesting. Rob Wood said himself, you know, on the question of affordability, it's hard to pick the competing drivers. And he was talking about cost of affordability or the macro climate. Uh, he said, how much of that is affordability versus macro conditions? It's hard to separate with any confidence. Um, it's very hard to unpick the two. So I wouldn't attempt to do that myself. Um, obviously, the analysts will have to attempt to do that. So I don't envy them. Um, but uh, yeah, just some really nice colour, I thought. And It'll be interesting to see if that trend continues into Q2 reports of of their main rivals, so so Flutter and 888 and uh, and a few others that we can expect to report this month. Very interesting, uh, Jake, and it is this uh, kind of um, question that is uh, hot right now, which is uh, will the rampant inflation and difficult macroeconomic climate how will it affect the, the spending habits uh, and uh, the revenues on the uh, uh, to the operators and uh, the, um, the this gives us a first glimpse into uh, the fact that it's possibly uh, a detrimental factor to 
uh, the spending habits uh, of the customers of the of the operators. So it will be uh, it will be very interesting to see now the reports uh, coming out. And there's another factor here, which is uh, the fact that, like, like I said, I'm currently in Marbella at the moment, and the, the streets here are packed with the tourists. And this is the first time since 2019. Uh, where they have a proper tourist season. Uh, a lot of British people, I might add, uh, some rowdy, some less rowdy, not like yourself, uh, calm and nice, uh, uh, Jake. But, uh, uh, but nonetheless, uh, this is the first summer where we see a large amount of people uh, traveling and going on vacation again. And uh, I would be very curious to see how the Q2, Q3 reports look like from that perspective as well. Just the fact that it's the first summer, a lot of people are now going on actual vacation rather than uh, staying inside in lockdowns or staying at home because they perhaps are not so comfortable to go out and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, a lot of things have happened in this, uh, you know, two or three years uh, since we saw a proper summer before. So it would be interesting to see how that as well will uh, will affect the quarterly reports. Um, I uh, we, ha we have another ten minutes here, guys. So. Uh, Let's, uh, let's jump over just quickly as well to another story here, which is, uh, um, again, staying on the macroeconomic climate. And, you know, a lot in the background, what I hear, what I see is that there's a lot of M&A um, activity that is being interrupted at the moment from the macroeconomic climate. And if we pull back, if we rewind the tape about a year, uh, we saw M&A activity and, uh, and investment and new products and startups popping up almost every day. And what we are seeing now, which maybe not exactly make the news because it is basically news that didn't happen, is the fact that a lot of deals that are, are close to being signed are now being cancelled. Um, okay, so there's, a, there's a, the influx of capital from investors have seemingly stopped right now. Uh, from uh, from from uh, from uh, major major investors uh, in all sectors and also the gambling industry, uh, but one story that made the news uh, now on that line is the fact that uh, the potential acquisition of Playtech by TBB Partners uh, was cancelled, right, uh, due to the uh, challenging marketing conditions, uh, and uh, we saw the the news uh, breaking uh, here. It was uh, if it was today or yesterday. Uh, and um, this cost the share price. Yeah, yeah, this morning, yes, and, and it cost the the share price of Playtech to uh, to tank about twenty percent. I think I think they are currently down seventeen point five percent on the stock market. And um, if we compare that to when the um, when when the uh, acquisition uh, proposal was made in October, we can now see that. Um, and 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 obviously when when the offer was announced to acquire. Uh, Playtech, uh, the the share price was 429 pound uh, just before the the offer was made, and now we can see that uh, the share price is uh, 428. So uh, the share price has actually uh, come down to the same level as it was uh, before the uh, acquisition, or not the acquisition, before the uh, before the bid uh, to acquire Playtech was announced uh, here essentially, um, and so. I thought it. I thought it was uh, quite interesting as well here, just talking about the uh, macroeconomic climate again. Uh, the, the the fact that uh, there is a lot of deals that are just not going through for the moment. Uh, investors are waiting to see what is going to happen, and this is obviously bad news for a lot of speculative um, uh, and uh, uh, organizations and a lot of organizations who are not currently profitable uh, because seeking investment in this environment is just not that easy. And, and again, looking at the U.S. startup market, for example, um, I wonder how many startups in the B2B space in the U.S. at the moment uh, who are currently having a lot of sleepless nights uh, due to the fact that it's just very difficult to uh, to raise the next round. Whereas like one year ago, it was as easy as uh, snapping your fingers uh, to, to get money and to fund your business. Uh, so um, question mark, what's going to happen there? And obviously, yeah. Playtech uh, now is... Uh, is without an acquirer, uh, back to business. And uh, I know, Jake, uh, you wrote about the fact that they will probably uh, look uh, inwards now again to, towards their existing products. Uh, they did just offload one of their products internally, but um, feel free to, uh, to to go a little bit more into this story. Yeah, sure. No, I think you've, you, you know, you, you've said it exactly right, Pierre. And I think today's announcement shows how just how much weight 
investors put in kind of M&A activity as well, because at the same time, Playtech announced that um, EBITDA for the first six months of this year um, is expected to come in 61% higher than, than the same period of last year at 200 million. Uh, but like you say, the, the share price still still dropped off 20% um, and it's still down. And um, you're right. I mean, we've seen, I, I think it was kind of a huge risk initially from Playtech, if you remember, because shareholders basically rebelled against that aristocrat um, takeover initially to basically try and get a better offer for the company which seemed like it was forthcoming from TTB bond partners. Uh, and then they've not been able to follow through on that because of the, the macroeconomic environment, basically, and and uh, and challenging underlying market conditions, as you pointed out. So they kind of threw all their eggs in that one basket. Um, and now they're back to square one a little bit without uh, without an acquirer. Um, exactly. And, and as we can see here, this is essentially the period from where the first bid was announced back on the 14th of October. Uh, and obviously the uh, the very tumultuous times that took place in between here, as you described, Jake. And, and um, now obviously the, uh, the bid did not happen and share price fell uh, back to where it was before the deal was announced. Although, as you very relevantly point out here, the EBITDA is a lot higher now as it was then. But this is also true for say evolution, which has actually uh, lost uh, about 50% uh, 50% share value uh, since the same period, although they also uh, have uh, gained a much higher EBITDA as well. So it's just a very, very difficult uh, environment yeah. right now. And, and, and this, this isn't the only example of it either, because if you remember, 888 was able to negotiate like quite a substantial discount on its purchase of, uh, of William Hill from Caesars. And that was because basically the market conditions had changed so significantly from when the deal was announced to when it completed that um, they ended knocking off like quite a hefty chunk of the, of the value um, in the end. Absolutely. Interesting. Guys, we have uh, we have four more minutes, which is just absolutely perfect for you to cover the last story of today. Uh, wait, 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 wait. One oh, thing, okay. yeah, wait, well, one thing I'd like to uh, to add. You know, we've been uh, if we just take a look at uh, the last two or three two or three years. You know, with uh, with the big numbers flying around, like okay, uh, we have some unicorns in the industry. Market cap just crashed. Uh, um, Happened happened quite often. If you just take a look under the hood uh, of a deal, N26, they just raised the capital of one billion. Uh, if you just take a look at the deal itself, they promised these investors. First, first of all, it's out, uh, all about the liquidation preference. Who? So, if a company gets sold, who will get money first? Right. So it's uh, where you are in the in the food chain. So which company uh, or Whatever company invested the one billion into N26 during the last uh, last round had the liquidation preference of one. So whenever anything is sold from the company, they will get their money first. In addition, uh, this one billion euros they invested into the company will have an internal interest rate of 25% per year. So when the company is sold for four billion in two years, first of all, um, those who invested the one billion will get five hundred million as uh, on their investment. So then the deal which we which we have seen uh, within the last couple of years, they don't turn out to be that um, that nice and uh, decent for the companies actually looking for money. So as of now, as the climate totally changed, even these kind of crazy interest rates where you literally sell off your company, um, even these things uh, don't get the money from, from the investors. Just, just as, a, as a side note, as I was just listening uh, to a quite interesting podcast yesterday where one of the investors actually told... Uh, how the investments of the last two or three years actually turned out. Really interesting. What was the name of the podcast, Nico? 
it's it's a German one. It's uh, OMR, online okay. marketing, online marketing uh, uh, rock stars. Uh, but it's worth 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 listen. You know, there was uh, Philip Gerber. He was one of the founders of uh, uh, Lieferando. Uh, he was just giving some insights uh, on his points of views. Fair enough. Step one, learn German. Step two, listen to podcast. Uh, Nico, last uh, story of the day, which is uh, really lighthearted and and I, I you could say a bit fun one actually. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna say fun, uh, which is uh, the fact that there's uh, a really uh, uh, intricate scam that happened in India, where a fake Indian cricket league was set up in order to do Russian gamblers. Can can you can you go into this uh, story, Nico, as a lighthearted ending of today? Yeah. So first of all, when I was just reading the the headlines, like okay, there was a so-called gang, and they set up a fake Indian Premier League, which actually started two weeks after the official league, and this tournament with far laborers so not pro cricket uh, players just farm laborers uh, they were acting as players and just to dupe russian punters uh, in a in a betting scam uh, which reminded a lot of people onto the movie of 1973 the sting first of all i'm pretty sure this was just possible due to the sanctions which actually um occur to to russia so this um fake indian premier league tournament was the only one where russian punters have been able to actually uh put their bets on and uh, that's why uh the indians um were so happy to actually you know uh deliver uh their offerings to the demand and the hired laborers and unemployed young people have been paid 400 rupees, which is equal to uh, 4.2 pounds per game. Uh, and the matches had been broadcasted live on a YouTube uh, channel called IPL, which is the Indian Premier League. And no one actually doubted it. Uh, and um, in the end, the overall, <laughs> the overall, uh, kind of scam uh, was uh, found out and investigated. Just let me have a look. Um, but I think they like wasn't the uh, the umpire himself was in on it as well, and they basically radio through to the umpire to say you've got to hit a six or you've got to hit a four, <laughs> and then he would tell the batsman. Uh, but they even like they brought in the proper lighting from a from a cricket stadium and everything else, so it was a, a really um, well executed con. Um, <laughs> yeah, great story. Yeah, indeed, yeah, indeed, it was a was a great story. And and bets had been placed on a uh, on a Telegram channel, so um, you know um, which has been set up by the gang, um, and they had been alerting fake umpire on the pitch using walkie-talkies and i'm pretty sure they kind of rearrange how the games should should actually you know uh, uh turn out but um yeah first of all you're thinking like yeah this only happens in the gaming industry and we're like you know we always face this kind of stigma like okay yeah uh only the house wins etc um and this usually plays in, in the likes of people who actually don't like our uh, industry as well but you will find these kind of setup and fake things in each and every other industry uh, as well in the banking industry uh, you know wolf of wall street who uh, literally uh, sold off the penny stocks etc uh, the automotive uh, with their uh, um, uh, scandals um, but um, you know if you just uh, think about um, anyone um, being able to actually uh, please the demand in Russia, uh, and then you just see um, people setting up a whole league. Crazy. You can you, you can say a lot of things about these uh, uh, people who uh, who went to great lengths to set up a fake cricket uh, league on the pitch with uh, background uh, background audience sounds and proper uh, team names and everything like this. But you cannot call them dumb. That is for sure. Uh, 
guys, Nico, Jake, it's been an absolute pleasure as per always to do this uh, things with you guys. Uh, what do you say? Shall we head down to the beach and have a pina colada? Yeah, I think so. I think we need to get our um, our regular viewers playing a weekly news bingo as well from now on. So every time we say evolution or macroeconomic, they can put a little tick on their on their sheet from next week. That's a great that's a great idea, Dick. <laughs> There'll be a lot of drinking happening, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and and we missed one thing. We missed one thing, uh, uh, Pierre. Thanks for reminding uh, uh, me and us. Uh, last week, it has been the international uh, day of the pina colada. Unfortunately, I don't have a pina colada <laughs> yet, uh, but I will join you on the, on the beach uh, for sure, just to celebrate the World Pina Colada Day, which, if I'm not mistaken, happened last week on a Friday. I thought that was every day, Nico, World, World Pina Colada Day. Every Thursday. If you're around with Pierre, it's every 